give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody and welcome to part three of the Metallicast in Summer for All series. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. So for those of you who have been out of the loop for some strange, bizarre reason, uh, let me tell you briefly what the In Summer for All series is all about. This is my weekly track-by-track breakdown of the Injustice for All album leading up to its 30th anniversary next month in August. I'm going week by week, track by track, going in chronological order, seeing how this is part three. We are looking at track three, Eye of the Beholder, and I'm very excited because this episode marks our first guest host of the In Summer for All series, Mr. Kevin Van Dam. Do you mind if I call you Mr. Van Dam? You can call me whatever you want. Then I will call you KVD. You wouldn't be the first and you won't be the last. <laughs> How are you today, sir? I am well. I'm very well. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Thank you for coming on. Uh, so, first and foremost, actually, let me dive into that thank you. I want to thank you for three things. One, I want to thank you for being a part of the Metallicast Militia. And being a big supporter on uh, social media, especially on Facebook and Twitter. And I want to thank you for joining me on this episode and helping me out looking at Eye of the Beholder. And three, full disclosure, this is take two. We, uh, Kevin and I attempted this last night. And because I am a podcast professional, it we had some technical difficulties. And at the end of about 50 or so minutes, I realized... It did not record. So Kevin, being as awesome as he is, has agreed to try this again. And here we are to talk Metallica. Hell yeah. So, I want to start off, Kevin, Mr. KVD, I want to start off by just asking you simply, how did you get into Metallica? So, I really got into Metallica through the live shit Binge and Purge album. Uh, I don't know why I was drawn to that, maybe because it just said shit on the cover, and I thought that was fucking awesome. So I, <laughs> I can relate. And I uh, listened to the Mexico City show, and they opened with ecstasy of gold then they go into enter sandman and i'm you know rocking out with them and then they go into creeping death as track two and you may not believe this but i had never heard that song before then and after that was done after metallica got done ripping my head off with creeping death i was a lifelong diehard fan from that moment on i mean live shit is definitely and i mean this in the corniest way possible a true binge and purge experience if that's your introduction into the band. It is awesome. I recommend it to anybody who wants to start out listening <laughs> to Metallica. So, what, uh, 
what Metallica songs were you familiar with before you experienced the live shit box set? Any? It was really, you know, the stuff that's burned into your brain if you were born in 86 like I was. Like, I knew about the songs off the Black Album, and I had probably heard Master of Puppets a few times, and even one off of Justice. It, but that was kind of it. And I was like, I'm into this. I'll see what, what else they got. And if I'm going to listen to it, they probably got all the good stuff on the live album. So that's probably why I bought it. Right. I mean, I think, too, you know, full disclosure, again, we uh, talked about this last night. And I want to bring this up because I thought it was a very good point that you made when we talked previously in take one. <laughs> but you mentioned... You know, a live album to you or seeing a band live is sort of a, a good benchmark for you in getting to know what a band is all about. Yeah, because that's what I because if I'm listening to a band, I probably want to go see them in person. And it's one thing to have it, you know, perfectly produced on a CD or MP3 or iTunes or whatever. But if they sound like shit live, what's the point? Right. I absolutely agree with you. So from uh, live shit and I can relate to. Um, being a little bit like, oh my god, does that box set say that word? Um, I know, like, I have this memory of going to my cousin's, and he is old. My cousin Mike, he's been on the podcast before. He's the host of Main and Fan Podcast and here at Metal Lab, and yeah, yeah, countless other podcasts underneath the fan fans, not experts umbrella, if you will, but um. I, he is older than me, and he was a Metallica fan. And I remember going to my aunt and uncle's house. I, it's probably for Christmas or some random holiday, and seeing that he had the live ship box set. And I just remember thinking, like, and so I'm so young at this point. My only knowledge of the band is the Black Album, and I'm like, I know the Black Album. They have this other thing out, and it says a word that I'm not supposed to say. I'm not even <laughs> sure if I'm supposed to be able to read that word, but I know what that word is, and that band is awesome because it's yes. just shit. <laughs> Automatically. Even if they tried to cover it up with the parental advisory sticker. <laughs> yeah. And I'm happy to say that despite the fact that I do not have a VHS player anymore, and in fact, I actually currently do not even have a CD player anymore, which is kind of weird for me to say, well, I have, like, my Xbox One, which plays CDs, technically, but I don't have, like, a formal CD player currently, but yet I still have my live ship box with the VHS and the CDs, and I will never part with it. Yeah, I still have the CDs. I didn't get the box set. I just got the CDs from Best Buy or whatever, but yeah, I haven't parted with it, and the only CD I player I have is probably my car. Yeah. So where did you go from the live ship box set? What was, like, the next step in your Metallica journey? Yeah, it was a little interesting because I actually started listening to Metallica and picked up the Live Shit album about the same time St. Anger came out. It And whatever it was, whatever fate drove me, it, I didn't get off the ride after St. Anger. I listened to it. I was like, that's definitely not the Metallica I just listened to off of this awesome live record. So I, I think it just pushed me back into the, the first four albums. So wait, wait, I don't... Lightning, Puppets, and Justice. Not to interrupt you, but... You went straight from uh, the live ship uh, box set, and Saint Anger was your first studio album that you like really experienced from start to finish. Am I hearing that correct? It 
I didn't listen to it start to finish, but the, the singles that came out and that I was listening to, I was like, I don't think I'm going to buy that one. I'll see about uh, all the you. old ones. I got you. Because you're hearing a band that sounds kind of the same, but also drastically different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Drastic would be an understatement to me. Sorry, yeah. Tom Quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then you backtracked. You said you checked out the first four albums. Do you remember... Uh, what the albums were that you got in order, or like kind of what your first experience was with those first four? I, I think it was because I was so in love with Creeping Death. I went to Lightning first, and then I went to Puppets, and then Kill 'em All, and the last one was actually Justice. So I can sort of relate. I feel like, well, the Black Album was my first Metallica album. Like I said, that was all I knew about them for a period of my life. And then yeah, I was in, already burned in my head already. Yeah. And then I, I, I mean, I had like the cassette of that. I, I was listening to that album when I was in first grade through uh, a next door neighbor. And then, <laughs> and then I got like the official cassette when I was in third grade from a buddy uh, for a birthday present. But that was my, I mean, I went through elementary school listening to the black album. That was, I'm like, this is the only album that they have. I was clueless, you know? And then I remember hearing Until It Sleeps on the radio. And I was like, oh, there's a new Metallica song out, and I like it. And so actually my first two Metallica albums, and this is blasphemy to the hardcore 80s metalheads, I'm sure, but my first two Metallica albums were the Black Album Low just because of when I was born and when I was raised, you know? Yeah, and I actually love the Load and Reload albums. I mean, growing up in the 90s, that sort of sound probably gels with me better than some other people, but I think those albums yeah. are great. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I remember um, after Load, I was like, let me go to like my local record store and check out what this band is all about. And I remember looking to the Metallica section, I was like, holy crap, they have four other albums out? And then I was yeah. like, I remember looking at each album cover, I was like, all these album covers are badass. I was like, but which one is going to piss my parents off the most? And then I went home with Kill 'Em All. I was like, between the album title... The blood, oh, yeah. the sledgehammer. I'm like, I feel like when my mom asked me what I bought, she's gonna be like, "Why the hell did you buy this?" Exactly. <laughs> Even though she knows the name Metallica, I'm gonna, she's gonna be like, "Wait, is this the same band?" You know, kind of the same reaction I was having, especially after I actually listened to the album. I was like, "Wait, this is the same band?" <laughs> yeah. Is this that nothing else matters band? <laughs> yeah. That was and that was my introduction to thrash metal and like that whole movement and it it took me um, a few listens to get into it to be honest with you um but once i was in it i never looked back man and then i got ride lightning master purpose and just for all all on the same day and yeah. uh, i was hooked yeah they'll get you hooked quick and then you go back to all their back catalog and you're like there's so much good stuff here that i haven't listened to and i need to now yeah, and it was actually kind of exciting, even though I know this was not a popular era of the band among, you know, uh, certain percentage of their audience. But, I mean, when I was in sixth grade, Load came out. When I was in seventh grade, Reload came out. When I was in eighth grade, Grudging came out. Like, that whole middle school era for me, it was like every year there was a new Metallica album. Whether yeah. it was original songs or cover songs or the live album that they did with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, there was like four years in a row there. There was just like boom, 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 boom. And then it was not long after that uh, St. Anger came out, and I just remember being 
a senior in high school and uh, dealing with all the haters. But, you know, that's another episode for another time. <laughs> then the lengths between Metallica albums got pretty long. Yes, too long. And I'm, uh, I think it was eight years between, well, let's see, St. Anger was 2003. I believe Death Magnetic was 2008. Yeah, that was five years and then eight years, right? Eight, nine or whatever it is between yeah. Death Magnetic and Hardwired, which is an awesome album. Oh, Both I, of them are awesome albums. I, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I like St. Anger. I, it's not you know, at the top of my list for Metallica albums, but I think there's some bright spots on that album, and, you know, I'll get into that another time. But it was so refreshing to hear Death Magnetic when that album came out. That was just, to me, like, return to form. And that was, like, the first time in years that casual rock fans were like, oh, this is new Metallica, and I like it. Yeah. At least that's how it felt to me, because when I was in high school, there were so many haters. And I mean, it was sort of like I feel and this is I'm 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 going to come. I'm going to make a comparison right now that I know somebody listening to this is going to be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? But, you know, and I, a lot of people shit on Nickelback, including me, <laughs> but like somebody's somebody out there is buying those albums because they're still selling tons of records and making millions of dollars right and that was sort of how shows and no one shows up (laughs) right and that's sort of how it was during that era of metallica strangely enough like you know you can hate load all you want but i think it just sold 10 million copies you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) but i think it was just you know more coming from that hardcore old school 80s thrash metal fan base you know that was that you know this might be surprising but they're a bit of uh they're a bit vocal yeah yeah there's no more hardcore <laughs> fan and no more hardcore critic than than those folks right there. no absolutely not so you kind of brought us through your uh abridged version i guess and i mean we i could talk about discovering this band forever and i love hearing people's stories about how they discovered the band and i just find that i always find it fascinating because everybody has a, a different story and a different entry point to this yeah. band because they've been around for so long. So I just think it's fascinating. But let's focus a bit, I guess, on the Injustice for All album. So you had mentioned, if I'm recalling what you said, that this was sort of the last of the 80s albums that you experienced, correct? Yeah. And it was probably just to get it so I had, so I could get the song one. And then after that, it was like, well, that's obviously the best song off that album. I guess I don't have to listen to the rest. I never really dipped into it all that much. Interesting. Why do you think that was? I have no idea. Maybe just the length of the songs. Maybe it was the production. Maybe I was just into load and reload at that time. Yeah. I can't really say. I mean, I can make a similar comparison maybe because um, I grew up a big Megadeth fan. And, I mean, I still consider myself a pretty decent Megadeth fan, but what they've done for, like, the last decade or so just does not interest me much. I think it's sort of generic and whatever. But I remember buying the Rust in Peace album, and even though I was into the other Megadeth albums I owned, I was like, uh, just not really... I was just not getting it. 
upon first listen. Yeah. And then I kind of went back to it like a year later, and I was like, this sounds fucking phenomenal. Well, I yeah. was so dumb, and I, and I think that perhaps maybe is the same thing with the Justice for All album. And I'm making that comparison because Rust in Peace to me is just super progressive and very complex song structures, odd time meters. Um, in, in Justice for All, obviously very similar. You have longer songs, complex song structures, odd time meters, etc. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just one of those things, it'll hit you and it's going to hit you, and you just don't know when that is. But the last couple of years for me has definitely been Injustice for All moving up the rankings of my Metallica albums. That's interesting. You know, I've, I've heard that, too, from other people because I have a really good friend uh, who's into metal. And we, I mean, we text every single day. And I feel like 75% of our text messages is just about music. <laughs> and uh, he texted me like a few weeks ago and was like, dude, why do I not listen to Injustice for All more? He goes, this album's phenomenal. But it's, I think... It's a classic album. It's a landmark album. In a lot of ways, because of one, it ended up being their breakthrough album. But I think in, like, as far as like their first five, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. One kind of overshadows it because it was like their first music video and everybody kind of got introduced through, to them that way. And then everything else kind of got lost a little bit. Except for maybe Blackened, because that's a fucking awesome song. Dude, I love that song. I think that is one of the best openers that they've ever recorded in terms of uh, opening tracks. And I was really nervous going into part one of In Summer For All, because that song is all over the place, man. I was like, how am I going to... Like, my goal with this In Summer For All series is to kind of I want to break down the songs but not necessarily like riff by riff or like I want to touch upon this and that and kind of give an overall general picture in terms of like they use this odd meter here uh, let's talk about the lyrics here and just sort of give an overall picture um, but with Blackened there's so many different time changes that I was like how do I break this down into like a coherent simple um, episode that's not three hours long. <laughs> yeah, that's difficult because no matter how many times I've heard it, it still sort of outmaneuvers my brain at certain points. Yeah, I mean, it goes from like 7 4 to 6 4 to 4 4, and it's just bounces, bounces around all over the place. I think it might have the most time changes than any song Metallica has recorded. And when you look at their catalog, especially just the Injustice for All album like itself that's saying a lot <laughs> yeah 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 i can't think of anything off the top of my head that would rival blackened in that way no i'm not neither can i and um uh, you know i wonder though this was one of the things i touched upon in part two of the Insum for all series when i was talking about the song injustice for all was um sort of the length of the songs and how the band was just getting kind of tired of playing them live and how that sort of led to uh, the Black Album era where things were a little bit simplified, let's say. Yeah, 
for sure. Everything's sort of distilled into into shorter songs, into a little more groove, not pushing the boundaries quite as much in terms of, you know, difficulty. Absolutely. And, you know, when we did this uh, the first time around last night, <laughs> you had mentioned uh, the Justice Medley. And I got to be honest with you, that was the first time I remembered about the Justice Medley in a number of years. So I actually went back to it uh, earlier today and I was listening to it. So I love it. I play it all the time. Yeah, it's very well done, like in terms of the blending of the tracks and stuff. But it's funny because if you go again, go back to the live chip Benjamin Purge box set, listen to James Hatfield introduce the Justice Medley, and he's even like kind of making fun of themselves in the length of the songs where he's like, "You want us to play every song? Yeah, we will be here all night." <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but basically that's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, that's probably how they felt on the Justice tour, and yeah. some you can see it. I mean, there are only a couple of. Uh, like shows that are on livemetallica.com of Eye of the Beholder, and it doesn't come off that great live. It's like the only Metallica song that somehow does that. But I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> Gotta be honest. For Eye of the Beholder, is that what you said? Yeah, for Eye of the Beholder. Not the Justice Medley, because that always kicks off with that awesome Eye of the Beholder riff. Yeah, they didn't go into any of the verses, lyrics, or anything. Yeah. But yeah, the whole song, it's like, I don't know if this necessarily works live it's not like blackened hmm that's interesting so why do you think i'm gonna put you a little bit on this put you on the spot a little bit why do you think maybe it does not translate well live do you think it's something for the band or do you think more so for like the audience i don't know i don't think that the band maybe it was just the time frame maybe they were tired of playing it at that point when those shows were done but it doesn't seem like they're all the way into it the vocals in particular doesn't come off as well as it does on the album maybe that's just the reason because i'm kind of picky about that i love james hetfield's like old school vocals and when it's off like that i'm just a little disappointed yeah i think to be honest with you um i think he's getting back he's on the current incarnation of the band if you will i feel like his voice is perhaps the best has been and he's doing a much better job of finding the middle ground between like that old school Hetfield's bark and sort of the more uh uh melodious voice that he found during like the load reload era and he's sort of blending the two together more flawlessly i know there was he was a, a victim of like a lot of criticism for a number of years with his live performances and how his voice sounded. And I think he's sort of uh, just worked on his voice so much that I, I mean, I got no complaints about how he sounds. I think he sounds excellent these days. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it like the black album era where he got like a vocal coach and really learned how to sing instead of, in his words, screaming at the mic. Yeah. So they have had something to do with it. And I agree with you. I, I thought the same thing. He kind of switches back and forth between some, some old school grit and some, new school like i'm actually a really good singer now and i think really well i was i was kind of afraid during the death magnetic era because those songs all the vocals were so like rapid fire it is like when does he breathe during that can he even do that live i was a little worried about that but they pull it off man some of those songs are killer live 
It's funny. Uh, so a little side story. I saw Metallica on the 2003 Summer Sanitarium Tour when they were promoting St. Anger. And they, I think I saw them. I could be wrong. I got to go back and look at the tour dates. But I think I saw them opening night. It, and they played the song St. Anger. And during that song, like, Hetfield's, like, ran out of breath. <laughs> and it was, like, struggling to keep up with, like, when the vocals are really, like, rapid fire. And to the point where, like, he had to make a joke on himself at the song. He was like, oh, he said something like, oh, God, like, that song's tough to sing. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel yeah, like he, he's not running into that problem these days. I just feel like there's such, um, I mean, when I saw them on World's Wire Tour last summer, it was probably the best I've heard them. Yeah, they're awesome. No complaints. That's an amazing show. And if anybody missed out on it, I'm sorry for you. Seriously, I, I mean, if you've seen them before, I would recommend seeing them again. I, I've never seen a bad show by them, but I just think they are just firing in all cylinders right now. They, In terms of uh, tightness, they seem happy to be playing. They seem, uh, not that they never did before, but they just seem to really, it, it all seems to have come together for them at like this age, at this time of their career, where they're happy, they're grateful, they're playing great and their their creativity is uh you know at a peak right now more so than it's been in years because i think hardwired to self-destruct is a brilliant album yeah i think it's awesome i think they're really happy with how that turned out and how it was received by the fans i think they're really grateful for that and i think the way they do their touring schedule has a lot to do with how consistent their shows are and how high level they are. Whatever it is, the two weeks on, two weeks off, 50 shows a year. However, you know, Lars or management or whoever figured that out, I think it's working. Yeah, I agree. They've definitely figured it out for themselves so it works. And, I mean, I hope, I hope this allows them to keep going for, you know, 30 more years at this rate. Yeah. Hopefully they come out with an album before, you know, another eight years. Oh god, that's that's my only beef with modern day Metallica. It's like eight years is too long. Like I was, and I know I'm not the only one when I say this, but I was like ravenous for for new Metallica. Like to oh, the yeah. point where I'm such a fanboy. Like I'm, I'm if Heffield went into a toilet and like shit into it, and that's all the song was, I'd be like, <laughs> I'll I'll buy it. It's been eight fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy it off iTunes. What the hell? Yeah. Fortunately, it was a lot better than that. But yeah, thank God. <laughs> um, I also think the Hardwired album is probably the best production I've heard from them. Like they not only do they sound great live, but they really sound great on record. And I think that the you know they got some criticism. Um, on the Death Manetic album, and obviously a lot of criticism on the Saint Anger album um, for how those records sounded. So just having them come out with a great sounding record, even that was like, yes, like this is long overdue. Yeah, exactly. Like almost everything went right for that album. There's no, you know, whatever nitpicking criticism about the production, which kind of annoys me it's like i enjoy the music maybe because i'm just not a musician or a music producer but you know hardwired even to me sounds better than death magnetics production oh absolutely i think 
hardwired they did a good job of creating that metallica crunch that's the best way i can describe their sound like that crunch but it also feels like very warm like you're and it feels like it's humans playing their instruments um even though it sounds very polished and very uh modern in a lot of ways yeah Maybe that has something to do with them, you know, being comfortable playing at HQ and they can control all the variables and they don't have to go to someone else's studio or something. I don't know. Whatever the reason is, I love it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's really just like what we were touching upon before. It's, I think it's the perfect storm of things. Same thing with whatever they're doing with their live shows. It's just working. They have the right guy in there uh, producing. They have, you know, I think what you said is true. I think they're comfortable with their current spot at HQ. I just, It's just the perfect storm. You know, these things just do not just happen a lot of times there's you know it's because of a little bit of this and a little bit of that but maybe we compare the production of hardwired to the production of injustice for all a little bit different you think (laughs) yeah just a little bit one has bass (laughs) so when they uh ultimately do the remaster of injustice for all (laughs) what do you think as a fan, what do you want to hear from that remaster? Because obviously there's a lot of people out there like, will there be bass on the remaster? What do you want to hear from it as a fan? I think it's fine as it is. I, I think people have done the and justice for Jason thing, and you can go listen to that wherever. I think Metallica needs to just put out what Metallica is going to put out. Like, that's them on the record. That's what they should do. And I have all the other box sets. I'll have the and justice for all box set. Um, it's going to sound great to me no matter what. I I agree with you. And I think, <clears throat> I mean, there's an honesty in this band, you know, and I, I, I you hear Lars Ulrich say that a lot, but I really think it's true. There's an honesty in the band. And I feel like it would be dishonest for them to do a remaster with, like, a new mix. Like, they yeah. would remaster what they have. That's what they did. That's what they put out there. Remaster that. But... Or do, like, two versions where, like, here's the remaster of the original mix, and here's, like, a new mix with bass. Like, maybe do two versions, but do, but do not just, like, change the whole mix of the album, because that changes, as much as I would like to hear more bass here or there, like, that will change the whole feel of that album. Yeah, I mean, if you want to put bass in, like, release a iTunes remaster mix or whatever, but the commemorative box set is commemorative. They're, like time capsules for that time of the band so i think it needs to stay the way it was absolutely and there's a lot of bad remasters out there man i'm not sure how much you've dived into megadeth or you've heard any of their remasters but some of them are really atrocious like there's i've heard a couple of their uh remastered albums and it does not even sound like the original album to be honest with you that's unfortunate and and, and obviously, I'm not saying that in a good way, you know. And I'm and I'm happy that, <laughs> and I'm happy that Metallica is not one of those bands. Like again, I no disrespect to Ozzy Osbourne, I'm a fan, but like I feel like he has remastered every one of his albums ten million times. You know, like it's <laughs> it, it it's like when Iron Maiden comes out with ten million best of albums or ten million different live albums. Like there's so many versions out there, you know. But with Metallica, there's only been one version and now there's only 
one remaster. It, it makes it feel like event. It makes it feel like something special. Yeah, it doesn't get watered down by the, you know, whatever music industry machine. Absolutely, hundred percent agree with you. So, let's transition a little bit into getting back into "Eye of the Beholder" as the song. Um, I'm thinking of a tweet that Mitch Lafon sent out um, not too long ago. It might have just been this week, actually. And he asked for the five most underrated Metallica songs. And I bring that up because you responded to the tweet. And correct me if I'm wrong, but number one on your list was Eye of the Beholder. Number one, Eye of the Beholder gets no love. And it disappoints me because it's such an awesome song. Most underrated Metallica song ever. You heard it there first, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. KVD declaring Eye of the Beholder the most underrated Metallica song of all time. Why do you think that is? A lot of stuff off of Death Magnetic is really underrated as well. But Eye of the Beholder takes the cake for me. Well, I agree with you about Death Magnetic. In fact, I listed My Apocalypse as... Uh, one of my five most underrated Metallica songs. Why do you think of Why do you think Eye of the Beholder is such an underrated song in their catalog? Why do you think that is? I think it has to do with one being such a huge song off that album. Blackened is a great opener, and then the second track is Injustice for All, which could get like long and repetitive for people, and it's it's got to follow Blackened and Injustice for All and try and make an impact. And I think it kind of gets steamrolled by those two tracks for whatever reason. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Album placement. I mean, album placement is everything, in my opinion. If, uh, not everybody these days likes to listen to a record as like an album. But I think uh, metalheads are the exception to that rule. And just old school music fans are the exception to that rule. So I, I really believe in album placement with songs. And so you might be onto something there with Eye of the Beholder. It's got a... It's sort of sandwiched there between a bunch of giant songs. Yeah, for sure. Kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Which is interesting. So just to give a and I say that just so I can give a little bit of background on the song. So this was actually released as the second single, Harvester of Sorrow, which will be obviously a future episode in the Summer for All series, was the first single. But I Have the Beholder was the second single from the album. So this was released as a song that Metallica was pushing to radio, I guess. Yeah, I, I always wondered about that. Like, it doesn't get any love, but they the band, obviously, or somebody in their camp thought it was good and good enough to be a single. And it had Bread Fan on the B-side, and I feel like Bread Fan got more listens than I Have the Beholder did. <laughs> you actually might be right. I mean, let's actually look at Metallica.com for a moment. So I have... Uh, the one thing I love about the Metallica website is that if you go into the music section of it, you can find out all this cool information about every song they've ever recorded. They have the songwriters. Uh, they have the full lyrics. They have all the releases that the that a song has appeared on including like old school fan cans from the met club like not even like official releases um that you could buy in stores but they have all that information on but they also have live stats so i have the beholder has only been performed 125 times
times. Just the, just on that Justice Tour. Yeah, which is even crazier to me. So it was first performed on September 11th, 1988, and it was last performed on July 14th, 1989. So they performed it 125 times basically within a year, and they have not performed it outside the Justice Medley. They have not performed any of it. They have not performed as a full song since 1989. That blows my mind. Yeah, and even on the Justice Medley, it's a very short part. It's basically like the opening riff and a little bit extra from the song, and then they roll into the rest of it. So they have kind of left it in the dust, unfortunately for me. Yeah, I mean, that I got to say, I when I was... Going back to that Mitch LaFont tweet for a moment, when I was thinking of my five most underrated songs, I the Beholder did not even register for me. And in retrospect, I'm like, maybe because it is that underrated. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, so underrated, it doesn't even get in the underrated. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The hipster oh. song of underrated songs. <laughs> so, by the way, to go back to the original point, I just pulled up the Metallica.com live stats of Breadfan, the B-side to the single. So again, um, Idol Holder was performed 125 times. Do you want to guess how many times Breadfan has been performed live? 550. Less than that, but way more than um, uh, Idol Beholder. It's been performed live 319 times. Huh. That seems low to me but definitely more than I have the beholder. But also, here's the time difference in uh, in terms of years. So it was first performed in 1988, last performed May 7th, 2018 on the, on the World Wire Tour. Yeah, they, <laughs> they busted out in that cover slot. Yep. So you're absolutely right. The, perhaps I have the beholder is so underrated that even the B-side, their cover song, it's getting more love. I'm not sure, KBD, you might be onto something here. <laughs> or I'm in a very small camp. <laughs> um, let's jump into this track. So let's talk about the music part of it. I always liked the fade in at the beginning. Yeah, and it's like that slow, gradual build. It's sort of what they uh, did with Inter Sandman on the next album. Yeah, I always got like an Imperial Death March sort of thing, like the army is approaching and it gets louder as it comes towards you. That's the kind of vibe I get from that riff. That's a good comparison. Love it. I'll listen to that all day. And then it's sort of goes into a slightly different direction than perhaps we heard a lot from Metallica in their previous three albums, because it goes into a kind of a slower, more groove-oriented riff. Yeah, but I like that. So. I like it too, but I think, it, you know, with a couple exceptions, like maybe uh, uh, we really did not see that from them on the first three albums. Yeah, it was a later thing for sure. I mean, definitely on load reload, but you can pick up little hints of it earlier. Totally, and I and that brings me to my next point, which I feel like musically, a lot of ways, you know, when I went back and listened to this the other day for the episode, 
Um, I kind of, you know, the great part about these overall series is I've heard these songs a million and one times. But when I go back and listen for episode purposes, I do my best to go into it with fresh ears. And when I listened to this song again, I was like, man, that sort of was like the foundation for a lot that came after on the Black Album and like you said on Load and Reload, like the more groove-oriented stuff. And groove was such a big part even on the Hardwired Album. But it, like I feel like this was one of those first songs that really laid that foundation for this band. Yeah, and they kind of work it into a very progressive, kind of harsh album, too. It kind of is hidden in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, musically, I think it's a little bit more conventional than some of the songs on Injustice for All album. Um, for the most part, it sticks to 4-4 four, four time. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, please go back to the, again, I'm going to keep plugging myself here. Because I'm a whore. But <laughs> <laughs> go back to the uh, Blackened episode or go back to my Master Puppets track-by-track track breakdown. And I kind of break down what a time signature is. But 4-4 four four is the most commonly used time in music. It's so much so that it's often referred to as common time. So if you hear a song like Inter Sandman, that's pretty straightforward 4-4 four four time. So a lot of Eye of the Beholder actually falls into that. But then in the pre-chorus section, which is the when Hatfield is saying, doesn't matter what you see, or into it what you read, that whole section, it actually goes into 12-8 uh, time, which is a bit unusual. Not as unusual maybe as like 7-4 and Blackens, but um, definitely not something you see every day. Yeah, definitely not something you would see in later albums for sure. Uh, especially, oh, you mean like on the Black Album and Load and Reload? Yeah. Oh, totally. That was more, you know, straightforward stuff. And it was not until, uh, well, a little bit insane anger and really, uh, when they jumped fully back in, I feel like on, uh, uh, Death Magnetic with some kind of more odd time signature stuff. Yeah, I could see that. But, you know, one of my favorite parts about this song and about the Injustice for All album as a whole are the lyrics. Oh, yeah. They're the best. I really think that... Um, I really admire the personal lyrics that Hatfield's got into on um, the 90s albums. Those I always just felt more personal to me as a listener. But there's something really just well done and articulate about the Justice lyrics as a whole, in my opinion. Yeah. I, as I've said before, I think James's lyrical writing superpower is he has lyrics that are vague enough or interpretable enough for you to put yourself in, but they're, you know, very powerful. So somehow you can be unspecific and really powerful. I don't know how James pulls it off, but it's really, really awesome. And in this song, I mean, it doesn't matter what your political leanings are, whichever way you go you kind of put yourself in this song and see the other as, you know, the person trying to oppress you or, you know, alter your perception or what you see is true. And I think everybody can like relate to those lyrics somehow. Absolutely. I think too, um, tying into that point you just made, you kind of hear these lyrics differently as you get older, even so mm -hmm. like the meanings of the songs change as I grow up. 
um, you know, when I first heard the song as a teenager, a line like, you could do it your own way if it's done just how I say, to me that as a teenager was like, you know, yeah, they're talking about my parents, they're talking yeah. about my teachers, you know, <laughs> you know what I am now. <laughs> and what I'm doing to other teenagers, hopefully. Become what you've hated. <laughs> hopefully I'm pissing, I hope that I'm pissing teenagers off enough to discover Metallica and rage against me. That's my <laughs> doing goal. Doing the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah, doing the Lord's work. Absolutely. But, you know, as you get older, you kind of understand, for this particular song, uh, some of the more um, political leanings of uh, some of the lyrics, but also too, just on a personal level, I think it changes. Um, you know, now, it, now instead of raging against my parents and my teachers, I'm raging against uh, uh, my bosses and my wife. That's right. <laughs> Whatever the generalized authority figure is, that's who we need to rage against. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I hope she doesn't listen to this. I didn't mean it, Mrs. <laughs> Metallicass. I didn't mean it. <laughs> but um, I always really liked how uh, the lyrics of the song are structured. Every verse starts with, do you, do you, do you, do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? Do you feel what I feel? Uh, I always really liked how the verses were structured um, similarly, but each one went in a different direction. Yeah, I like the structure. Some people might think of it as like boring or repetitive, but I really like it. I think it kind of drives the point home of, you know, hierarchy and rigidity and that sort of thing in the song. And I like all the verbs at the end of the first lines, like see, hear, feel, take, all that stuff. And it kind of goes from passive to active words as the song goes along. So it starts with like more sense type things, see, hear, feel. And by the mm -hmm. end, it's trust, no, want. Like they're take the person in the song is taking a more proactive point of view. By the end, it's like, okay, now I see what you're doing to me, and now I have to figure out what I'm going to do about it. The song doesn't go past that, but I think the structure is really well thought out. I don't think that's an accident. That's a really good point. It, you know, when you kind of, like you said, reanalyze those lyrics with what you said in mind. It, I can absolutely see that, you know, see, hear, feel, take, but then it kind of evolves into fear, choose, need, trust. Like it's it's definitely a lot more personal. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like internalizing what's going on. Absolutely, I, I can see that. That's an excellent point. And you know, one thing I always liked about uh, Hatfield when he writes too, I feel like this is classic Heffield, um, and sort of the beginning of um, sort of a trick he likes, where at the end he sort of turns it around, so it becomes like uh, from, it goes from you to me, or us. He takes it from what are you doing, to this is what we are doing, this is what I am doing, uh, and it kind of personalizes even more with a little twist, so um, you know, the chorus goes on throughout the song, independence limited, freedom of choice, choices made for you, my friend, freedom of speech, speech is words that they will bend, freedom with their exception, but then we get to the last chorus, and that last line changes to freedom no longer frees you. Yeah, I really like that. It's a, one of those little Hetfield twists that pop up every so often in his lyrics, and 
obviously he's doing that on purpose because he likes it or thinks there's something in there. But I always catch that and like that. I think it's a good lyrical mechanism. And I think he's probably in this song trying to say something about freedom in general and independence and how you see it in, in America or whatever he was thinking about at the time watching CNN. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, we see that um, happens actually in the song Injustice for All at the end in the last chorus. We see it happen in the next album in The Unforgiven. Um, it sort of, you know, turns the tables. We even see it um, the last couple lines in Am I Savage on the Hardwired album where it sort of turns the tables and sort of, you know, just personalizes it a little bit more. And I, I agree with you. I really like that. I think it's, I think it's simple, but I think it's really powerful. And I think that's one of the things he does really well as a lyricist. And I absolutely agree with you, too. I think, um, you know, the point you made about it being vague but direct, um, I don't want to misquote you. But that's sort of how I interpreted what you said. Yeah, definitely. And the way he does it, it sort of like, I don't know, includes the fans a little bit. Like, hey, we're all in this together, you know? Yeah. And they definitely bring that out in the shows nowadays, like the Metallica family. You know, you're Metallica. You know, that comes out a lot now. Absolutely. And it all goes back to that whip, uh, the Whiplash lyric. Yeah, exactly. Um, he goes, we'll never stop because we're Metallica. Then somewhere along the lines, because you're Metallica, you know? Definitely. Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. So I got to ask. Um, oh, one more point I want to make before I ask my question. Um, I also really like the lyrical structure of this song in the sense that that pre-course there doesn't matter what you see or into it what you read. You can do it your own. You can do it your own way. If it's done just how I say, it happens bef- uh because it's the pre-course, it happens before the course, but then it comes back there sort of as a tag-on at the end, which is a little bit unusual, but I always liked that. Yeah, I think it's just like a good summation of the song in general. Like, you could probably distill it just to that right there. That's my favorite lyrical part of the song, at least. Oh, that was actually my question. What was your favorite lyric from this Yep, it's song? it's the, you can do it your own way if it's done just how I say. I, I love that. I sing along to that every time. Yeah, I think it's really powerful. Uh, like I said, I think it's just like such a fuck you line, you know? Like yeah. as whether whether you're, like I said, whether you're raging against a parent, whether you're raging against a boss, or whether you're raging against your freedoms as an American, or un-American, <laughs> whatever country you may be from, I just think that's such a simple, vague, but direct, not too subtle line about like, hey, Fuck you. <laughs> you definitely get that, that vibe. And uh, so throughout the Incentive for All series so far, I've been referencing a book I have called Metallica in Their Own Words. It was, It's by an author named Mark Putterford, but really it's just uh, he's somebody who basically took all these quotes from different Metallica um, interviews, through the beginning of the bands, through the Black Album era, and they and compiled it into a, a band, uh, into a book. So it has different sections to help structure these otherwise random quotes. And so there's a section about um, the records. So there's, you know, breaks it down into the first five albums. And the Injustice for All section 
there's a lengthy quote from Lars Ulrich from September 1988 where he talks about each track on the Injustice for All album, and this is what he has to say about Eye of the Beholder. This one is a bit more mid-tempo, a bit simpler than some of the other stuff on the album. It's got some real heavy mid-tempo riffing, and it's a real groovy type of thing. The lyrics to this one are pretty much self-explanatory. It's basically about people interfering with your way of thought, and how America is really maybe not as free as people think. Yep, I'd say that's a really good summation. Of course, he was there when they wrote it, so he would know. Yeah, right? I always like hearing... And that's another interesting thing I like about um, not just Metallica lyrics, but about any artist listening to a song and having one idea about what the lyrics are about or interpreting them a certain way, but then getting like the true story of how or why the lyrics were written, you know, like the true story behind the lyrics. Yeah, I really like that, too. I think James is more coy now about what songs mean. I, you know, watched interviews about the Hardwired songs and he's pretty much in the lane of you know whatever you get out of it is what you get out of it and that's awesome so it's cool to hear like the the no shit version from back in the day yeah and i think too though um that hatfield has become a little bit more open about talking about stuff i remember reading an interview back in the day it might have been a rolling stone interview from like the black album era where he was just sort of they asked him about lyrics and he just sort of like shut down about it or about particular songs but he seems a little bit more open these days about at least telling, like you said, he likes to keep it open-ended for the listener, but he also will tell why, like what the lyrics mean to him a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Like what influenced it or what was he thinking about at the time? Like here comes revenge. Like he's pretty open about what influenced that and stuff, but you can still get out, get out of it, whatever you want to get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other points you'd like to make about, Eye of the Beholder, the KVD, number one most underrated Metallica song. I'm just going to urge people to go listen to it, give it another shot. It's awesome. So I'm fascinated to hear what all of you, the rest of you in the Metallicast militia, think about this song. Do you agree with KVD? Do you think this is one of the most underrated songs? If you need to listen to it again, like he said, do so. I'm also urging you to do so. And uh, go into it with fresh ears and tell us what you think. Go on Facebook, go on Twitter, go on Instagram. I am at Metallicast Pod on all three. And I think we're going to wrap it up, KVD. Sweet. It was a good episode, I think. I really enjoy this. You're going to have to come back on and uh, do this again with me. Hopefully, since this is... You know, no disrespect, since this is take two of Eye of the Beholder, I'm hoping when I press stop, there's not a take three. <laughs> but, <laughs> Here's the hope. but I do hope that you join me again on Metallicast. And again, I want to thank you, not just for joining me, but for supporting uh, the show. You know, we're the new kid on the block in terms of Metallica podcast. And I'm just, a, I'm just one guy doing this in my basement. I always feel like I'm Metallica in their early years. You know, I'm drunk half the time and (laughs) (laughs) trying to rely on word of mouth and uh so i appreciate you and everybody else who's been a big support and uh helping spread the word thanks man keep up the good work thank you man i appreciate that and um i end every episode of metallicast with a metallica cover and what i'm doing for in summer for all is 
ending each episode with a I always say cover too many times when I get to this point. I've noticed that. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> did you listen to that Blackened episode, KBD? Cover, the cover is covering the cover song. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I listened back to that. I was just like, oh, it was like palm, meathead type moment, you know? And then I tried to avoid it in the Just For All episode. I think I ended up watching that. And I I mean, I've it's already a lost cause for this episode. Yeah, um, just lean into it. <laughs> so I like to play a Metallica cover of the song that I'm talking about. That's better, right? Yeah, we'll go with that. And um, you actually recommended this cover to me, KVD, on Facebook. Um, I'm going to end with a cover of Eye of the Beholder by the band In Flames. And go back. Check out the song with fresh ears. Let us know what you think. Download, subscribe, and review Metallicast on iTunes. Find In Summer for All and all Metallicast episodes on there as well as Google, Stitcher, YouTube, and our home site, fans.experts.com. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, battle up your ass. Yeah! Say goodbye, KBD. See ya.
Not experts.